check. Check one, two. Check, check, check. Chuckity chuckle, the chocolate chicken. Hey, this is Chuck Huber, Dr. Leonard McCoy from Star Trek Continues. I'm a doctor, not a DJ. But I know that you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Davidson, Davidson. <laughs> Coming to you from Podfleet Command, via the Remler Array or the Argus Array or whatever arrays are out there, straight across subspace and into your ears, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're excited that you're here. It's uh, episode 126, and we've got a great discussion on tap today. Um, by we, of course, I mean um, my co-host and I. Um, it's not a well-known fact, but he was supposed to be in that transporter accident scene in Star Trek The Motion Picture and just never showed up to work that day. So we were almost rid of him before we got started. <sighs> a boy can dream. Anyway, he's Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I'm looking forward to today. What we got back didn't live long, fortunately. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't show up for work that day. That would have been a mess of... Uh, disgustingness on the bottom of the transporter pad and and we wouldn't have been here on our 126th episode of us being brothers and talking star trek you're the best man well see we had a an insult free friday a couple of weeks ago and that was hard to take but this is 10 times worse <laughs> and it's also fake now so whatever get going let's go <laughs> no it's it's uh always always a pleasure to be here man love it love recording trek geeks great topic today Good stuff to talk about, fun stuff to talk about, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's amazing because, you know, five, ten years ago, I don't think I would have really wanted to have talked about this this topic today. And uh, I'm excited because, you know, over time, this has become one of my favorite Star Trek movies. Yeah, I got to admit that um, I don't think I've ever had a really negative feel, and, and, and we might as well, you know, surprise everybody what we're talking about. It's almost 40 years old, or it's over 40 years old now, I believe. Uh, we're talking Star Trek, the motion picture today. Want to deep dive into it, talk about it, what we liked, what we didn't like. But uh, it's one that I've always enjoyed. And just like you, though, my, my appreciation and love for the film has grown in leaps and bounds over the years. I absolutely love the movie. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it, because it seems to be people either love it or hate it. And there's really no in between. So it'll be a great discussion. I think 40 years next year, believe it or not in 79 um, to to 2019. So you're very close. Math is hard though. It is close, but wrong, which is usually the case. So that's all right. 
You know what else is hard, Dan, is telling people how they can get in touch with us to tell us about their Star Trek The Motion Picture experiences. How might they do that, sir? Well, actually, it's it's easier than ever before to get in touch with us, Bill. Uh, you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you can find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts on Star Trek The Motion Picture or anything else Star Trek or non-Star Trek related, uh, and we want to hear from you. So you can leave us a voicemail, you can Skype chat us, and you can even fill out the contact form and send us a message directly from that very website. Plus, don't forget, you can click the big blue button over on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message. I did the same thing last week. Message. Message. (laughs) Math is hard. So is English. Uh, (laughs) Using SpeakPipe. And hey, you know what, guys? We talk about it every single week. We love talking about it. We love all the people there. Head right on over to our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There's always great things going on over there. There's talk, there's pictures, there's contests, all Star Trek related. There's Trek Tuesday, which is always fun. Uh, plus, you'll get early access to episodes of the Trek Geek podcast before they are even released to the general population. So that's always cool. To join the group, head right on over to Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our wonderful admins, Heather Jackie or Dan, will let you right in to join in on all the fun. But please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill. Thank you, Dan. That was fantastic. Or should I just start calling you Ruck? Oh, that would be very nice. <laughs> for us, maybe. I don't maybe not so much for everyone else. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks. It's treknews.net. Online. At TrekNews.net. See, I never know when you're going to end it. <laughs> I could have gone for I had a big breath. It could have gone for a long time. I was waiting for you to go, Stratosphere. Let's face it, at your age, <laughs> you would have run out of breath. And gone, <gasps> Kill Spock. <laughs> Very good. That's not what we came to Vulcan for, is it? Uh, so, yeah, the news, TrekNews.net. We love those guys. And uh, Dan, up first, this is a story you and I are both incredibly excited about because as we record this, We've broken the 200-day barrier. There's 199 days until we get to STLV in August, and the newest Starfleet captain will also be there. I am so psyched about this. I am going to have to be saving my Quatloos for a long time because I see myself getting lots and lots of pictures and autographs uh, if people are available to do that. And the biggest name right now for me right now, right now, right now, is Jason Isaacs. Captain Gabriel Lorca himself has been added to the guest list for Star Trek Las Vegas in the first week of August. Oh, my God. That is so awesome. I am just like dancing on clouds right now with this news. He is already joining a very healthy dose of Discovery cast, uh, which includes so far Mary Chifo, Kenneth Mitchell and James Frain. Um, And he was not there last year. So I'm very excited about that as well. But the captain of Discovery. 
Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see him on stage. I want him to talk like a Scottish engineer uh, or anything else that he wants to do. He can throw some Malfoy in there if he wants to, and I'll be excited. I'm, I'm just, I'm just beside myself with happiness. This brings the total of this recording to the number of guests at Star Trek Las Vegas to 61. Also added this week were Gates McFadden, Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, and the incomparable Michael Westmore. And rumor has it that Westmore is going to turn a celebrity into a Cardassian on stage this year at STLV. And I can only hope oh. it's it's Casey Biggs. Oh, okay. I was going to say Mark Alimo, but either one would be fantastic. Oh, that's that's something I will sit in that room for all day. Oh, oh wait. What about Andy Robinson? Oh, gee. What are you? You're killing me, man. You're killing me. Oh, <laughs> I just, I, I want to change my vote. I'm hoping for Andy. <laughs> I just don't want to change my vote. You know, if he wants to pick anybody from the audience to do it, I would, I would, I'll sacrifice myself to go up there. I've been hoping you'd sacrifice yourself for years. <laughs> of course, <you> have. <laughs> Captain, the mains are back on the line. Um, bless you, Scotty. Go, Sulu. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm psyched. I, I can only hope. Oh, man. Just think. Okay. So we got Jason Isaacs. We've got Mary Chifo. We got Kenneth Mitchell. We got James Frain. Dude, I we still have six months for them to announce the possibility of Sinequa Martin Green. And that would just be incredible if that happens. What I have not been announced. It's not even rumored yet, but wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing. You know, there any any one of the cast members is going to be huge because, of course, Discovery is so popular and 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 fresh right now. I would love and and I I I'd be a fool and pay the money probably if they get like Doug Jones or Sinequa, Mary Wiseman. God, I want Mary Wiseman to be there um, and have cast photo like they've done with all of the other shows. That would just be amazing. This first year of Discovery, can you imagine having all of the big names there for a cast photo with you and I sitting there looking like big goofs? Oh, I would just think it was great. Well, the one good part is Michael Dorn won't be in that photo because it's not going to take me five years to get his his autograph, for God's sake. <laughs> That's very I true. Bet you they, <laughs> I bet you they'd be at their tables. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just saying. Just saying. Dan, moving on. Speaking of Star Trek Discovery, and again, this is, you know, there are no spoilers here about Discovery on this podcast. Eagle Moss, the company that makes all those amazing tiny little starships that we've seen for the last couple of years and hear about other places, um, has introduced its Discovery line of ships, and they are really starting off strong. They're starting off very strong. Now, I thought this was a great story because when I started working at my new place, you welcomed me with a very nice uh, cube gift, so to speak, and that is the uh, Enterprise large version, which is gorgeous. So now Eagle Moss has introduced the Discovery line of ships. There are 12 ships in the initial launch of this product, uh, seven Federation and five Klingon. I'm going to give you the web address a couple of times uh, so that you'll have it. It's uh, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships if you want to read up about cost and subscriptions and so forth. But um, there are going to be a lot of ships. Like I said, 12 ships on the Federation side. You have ships that include the Shenzhou, the Discovery, of course, but also others that we saw at the Battle of the Binary Stars, which is kind of cool, including the Jaeger, the Shran, cool name, and others. And over on the Klingon side, you get a Bird of Prey, the new Bird of Prey or the old Bird of Prey, depending on how you want to look at it because it's in the past. Um, and there are others as well for the Klingon ships, which you can check out at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. But 
Noticeably not included is the Klingon sarcophagus ship, which is very interesting. But there is a reason for that. It is so intricate and so detailed that the ship is going to have to require a larger version. So we'll have to keep our eyes out for a giant Klingon ship of the dead. Um, the collection is separate from the other Star Trek Starships collection that has been in production for a while now. And that has over 120 ships, I believe is the number. Um, and the Discovery ships, very interestingly, will be larger than those in the Star Trek Starships collection. So uh, once again, check it out at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships and uh, get your collection started, my friend. This, those ships look amazing. I, my problem is I don't have room for any of these. Yes, that is a problem. You know, I I, <laughs> I literally, I, I mean, we're, we're full up here at the inn and um, I, I have to buy a new house to have room for all my Star Trek stuff. Oh, oh, well, I am going to be buying a new house. So now I'm going to have to have a new room added on. So that might be something I have to look at. Housewarming. <laughs> exactly. No, no, that's not going to go over well. I don't think okay. so. <laughs> well, um, you got a cubicle. That's all I'm saying. That's true. I do. You can put it there. I can put them all there. Oh, every single, all the starships. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just don't want anybody coming over and, you know, taking them and dropping them or anything. Oh, shut up, Dan. Last <laughs> night, or the other day, perhaps, New York Times bestselling author Dayton Ward had a, had an interesting tweet that looked pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. He had a very nice tweet. Very, very cool. Uh, he tweeted out a picture, uh, and he was very excited. You could tell just by what he wrote in the tweet. But this picture was a box. And what might be in that box, you're asking, Bill? Well, in that What's box. A, what might be in that box, Dan? That is a very good question, uh, my illustrious uh, executive producer. The first copies of his new discovery book, Drastic Measures, was in this picture. And it looks like it's going to be a kick-ass book, man. It uh, it really does. You know, when you read the the back of the dust cover, it um, it uh, I can't wait to get my hands on this book. I might buy it in physical form and in, in audiobook format simply so I can listen to it in the car. Uh, like I've done with uh, with David Mack's book, um, uh, Desperate Hours. Yes. <laughs> I almost did what you did earlier. I did, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but here's the description on the back of the desk cover. You ready? I'm ready. This I grabs you. I'll, I'll, Let's see if this grabs you. Okay. It's 2246, 10 years prior to the bi- battle at the Binary Stars, and an aggressive contagion is ravaging the food supplies of the remote Federation colony, Tarsus Four. What? And the 8,000 people who call it home. Distress signals have been sent, but any meaningful assistance is weeks away. Lieutenant Commander Gabriel Lorca and a small team assigned to a Starfleet monitoring outpost are caught up in the escalating crisis. And bear witness as the colony's governor, Adrian Kodos, employs an unimaginable solution in order to prevent mass starvation. While awaiting transfer to her next assignment, Commander Philippa Giorgio is tasked with leading to Tarsus for a small hastily assembled group of first responders. It's hoped that this advanced party can help stabilize the situation until more aid arrives. But Giorgio and her team discovered that they're too late. Governor Kodos has already implemented his heinous strategy for extending the colony's besieged food stores and safeguarding the community's long-term survival. In the midst of their rescue mission, Giorgio and Lorca must now hunt for the architect of this horrific tragedy and the man whom history will one day brand Kodos the executioner. Oh my word. Wow. I am tired. 
Oh my god, that's awesome! Even my dog Aria is like freaking out over it right now. You can probably hear in the background; she's very excited. She wants to read it. Conscience of the King is one of my favorite TOS episodes. It always has been, and uh, I love that there's a a discovery tie into this now um, that tells some of that story. I can't wait. Oh, because we're gonna get awesome. we're gonna get uh, Kevin Riley. We're gonna get the James Kirk. Oh, you know, possibly we're gonna get a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm very excited. I don't want to give any ways, any spoilers for people who may not have uh, have uh, read um, Desperate Hours, but there's some great tie-ins in that as well. I think both authors have done a great job, or I'm, I'm assuming that Dayton's, because he's a great author, will also have some amazing storylines with some tie-ins. So, you know, head over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you shop your collection of Star Trek printed awesomeness and pre-order this new Awesome Star Trek Discovery book, Drastic Measures. I've already pre-ordered mine, and I'm sure that Bill has already pre-ordered his. I have. I think it's out the first week in February. I think the sixth, possibly, but um, it's it's coming soon, man. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Recently, we had the occasion to go back and reconsider the first Star Trek movie. And I I watched it after the series finale for Star Trek Continues so that I could have that continuity. And it made me think, well, maybe we should talk about this on the podcast because Star Trek The Motion Picture has a lot to talk about. And I don't think that this is something I would have considered even three years ago when we started this podcast. Yeah, it's a good point, and I like the fact that you brought up that it's a good uh, it's good to watch right after the final episode of Star Trek continues because that series had that perfect bridge between TOS and the movie. And no spoilers, but the last episode of Star Trek continues takes place kind of close to where Star Trek the motion picture opens up. So it's kind of cool to to see that. And yeah, we've talked about Star Trek the motion picture a lot over the years. You and I, not on the show. Um, and what we like and what we what we dislike about it. And, um, you know, now that the 50th anniversary has gone by and the 40th anniversary is creeping up on this movie, you know, it's a good topic to talk about. And uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion, to be uh, quite honest with you. Oh, as am I, because, you know, for the longest time, this was the movie I watched whenever I was sick, because honestly, it would put me to sleep. Oh, ooh, ooh. Well, no, I, I'm being honest because back in the day, I mean, that's that's kind of how I, I viewed it. You know, I, I would get the chance to check out and it was comfort food and and I could just zone. But now it, it's totally different. I mean, I, I watch this and I rediscover things and discover new things that I never really realized about this movie. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about it today. So as, as you recall... This movie came out in 1979, so we're we're really just sort of two years removed from the whole Star Wars, you know, epic hmm. um, introduction to the planet, and and that played a heavy part into the development of this movie. And I, I suppose my first question is: is that do you think that popular opinion of Star Wars affected how people received Star Trek: The Motion Picture? Um, that's a good question. I think at the time, because, you know, look at, look at today, um, how, you know, they're, you know, they go through these whole, you know, 
peaks and valleys of what they're releasing for movies of what the popular thing is at the time. Uh, vampires was one thing a few years ago. And, and I use that as an example. Um, I think that it had a very big um, impact on the motion picture. Star Wars was the thing back in the mid seventies. Uh, I mean, it was, it was on a level that I had never seen before because I had not really gotten into my Star Trek fandom at the time. I was a huge Star Wars fan, just like any any young uh, boy or girl might have been back in the 70s. And, you know, it's, it was something that we had never seen. It was epic. Like you said, that first scene with the planet is just amazing. Um, and I think it did have I, – I think it did have uh, an impact on the motion picture. I'm wondering – and I, I, I have to I have to ask if maybe Paramount said, okay, so we they've got this big space movie. Um, we got to do something now. And what better not to do it with than with Star Trek that went off the air uh, almost 10 years ago from the time that the movie was released in 79. Uh, and I think it did play. I mean, you get these grand space scenes in TMP, which kind of – uh, mirror some of the scenes that we see in Star Wars. So I think it had a, I think it had a big, a big impact on it. From my perspective, I think that the, you know, the big matinee style of, of Star Wars where there was, you know, action and, and fun stuff kind of colored the perception of people going to see Star Trek. Cause you know, space was big again, mm-hmm. you know, space, space stuff was big in the mid sixties, but that's because we were going to the moon. And it was different, right? right? There was more space stuff on television. You know, the, the types of space stuff that was on television w- was different. And now in the wake of Star Wars, everything was supposed to be a, a bold adventure and, a, and perhaps a space opera to some degree. And Star Trek comes out and it is uh, – the only thing it has in common with Star Wars is that there's star in the title. Right. You know, there's – it is as different a movie as it could be. Whereas Star Trek is more of a movie, I think that – Star Trek, the motion picture is a film, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I think that one of the things that also stands out with the motion picture is, you know, in the seventies, you know, technology with movies is, was starting to advance a little bit. And we saw it with star Wars. Um, But then we saw special effects to a level that we had never seen with star Trek, the motion picture. And as you said, it's a film. It's, 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 it's as different, from Star Wars as you can get. But the idea, I think, to throw as much special effects to show what they could do was also a big factor in the creation of this movie. Because as the people who don't like it say, all they're doing is showing these exterior shots of V'ger and the Enterprise and and special effects this and special effects that. Um, I mean, there's so much more to it. But I think at the time, people were looking at as, oh my God, look at what they have done with the Enterprise and special effects in this movie. Do you remember the first time you realized there was a Star Trek movie coming out and how far in advance of the actual movie premiere in December of 79 was it? Um, I don't recall um, how far before the movie it was, but I do remember I had uh, – when I first started watching Star Trek, it wasn't something that I wanted to watch as we've talked about. My brother um, – was the one who decided what we watched after school and after dinner. And, and I did start watching it and, and I started liking it, but I wasn't like a a rabid fan yet. Um, So when it was announced that it was coming out, I don't really remember how excited I was, but I do remember my anticipation building right before the movie opened. And as we've talked about on this show before, it opened at a theater in Nashua called the Brant on main street. 
Um, I vividly remember the night that we went. I don't recall if it was the first night or not, but the night that we went, they still had the gigantic spotlights that would go back and forth in the sky like a big uh, Hollywood event. And the line for the movie was wrapped around all the way back behind the theater down into the parking lot, which I had never experienced before. That was really amazing. So the anticipation was there for a lot of people. I just don't remember how much I was looking forward to it before we actually went to see it. I remember, I want to say it was that fall. Um, At the time, I was a, a child living in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I remember walking to the convenience store one day, and and typically I would go to get a can of Barrelhead root beer because <laughs> I, I loved root beer, and back then soda was like a quarter for a can. Yeah. And um, I remember looking at the rack of comic books that this convenience store had, and you know, it was a small rack. It's not like it was a comic book store at all, but I was looking at an issue of Batman, and inside the the back cover. There was an ad for Star Trek or uh, yeah, for Star Trek, the motion picture it looked like a poster. And I still remember the poster to this day. It had a big shot of the Enterprise and had little photos of the entire cast at the bottom. And I, I got that issue of the comic book just for that back cover for Star Trek. I was so excited. It's like, oh, there's going to be a Star Trek movie like in the theater. Oh, my word. This is awesome. And um, at the time, there were still like Star Trek trading cards that were on the market and you know i would get those too because i was i was fairly deep into my love for star trek although like i've said i would never admit it to my big brother at the time um but i want to say that was a few months before and i i I do remember seeing the the movie trailer because i i'm pretty sure it was narrated by orson wells and i can't remember what movie i saw it before okay to be honest um but yeah, I was I was pretty jazzed by the time I got to December of seventy nine uh, to go see that movie. It's to funny. be honest, I, it's funny when you're talking about your first memory of that advertisement in the Batman comic. It made me it sparked a memory in me, and I don't know when it was, but my brother was a Trek fan, obviously, and a science fiction fan uh, before I got into it, and he used to get Starlog magazine all the time. Yes, and I believe there was an issue that had a special cover in regards to TMP um, before the movie came out. And I, I remember looking through that and that started piquing my interest, which is when I started probably getting excited for the movie. But again, I'm not sure when that was in relation to the release of the film. Yeah. Back in the day, Starlog was all we had. I mean, there was no internet. Starlog was like the source for news on stuff like this. Um, And yeah, I remember that every time I remember begging my parents to let me get an issue with Starlog in any given month um, because th- that was the tie, right? I mean, and they would have photos and I remember, I do remember that cover with the the new enterprise. I'm like going, wow, that that's the enterprise. Yeah. Really? I think if I remember correctly, the enterprise was on the cover and also kind of a worm's eye view, maybe from belt level of Kirk in his, his new uniform, which is something that we had not seen, of course, um, we're used to the the primary color uniforms. Uh, but yeah, I remember that really vividly. I mean, it was Starlog, and I was a big horror fan growing up, so Fangoria magazine and Starlog magazine were the ones that were always uh, big in our house. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I was the only one who really paid attention to my um, to my sci fi stuff, and nobody else in the house really did. So um, yeah, I was alone. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're not alone now. <laughs> no, and that's the best part. So, so you know, we go to the movie, right? And um, 
I mean, us individually. It's not like we knew each other back then because we certainly didn't. And uh, and we see the movie and we come out of the movie. And what did you think? That uh, I've said it before. The motion picture, what started my obsession, quote unquote, with Star Trek. It was it was exciting for me as slow as the movie could have been in parts. This was the first time I was really in depth watching what was going on with Star Trek. And, and it was new. It wasn't the episodes that we've seen over and over and over again. And you can quote even at, you know, nine and 10 years old. I was thrilled. I just was like, oh my God, this was great. Of course, I think part of the Star Wars factor still played into it. I'm like, oh my God, another space movie. This is going to be great. Um, I, I just I loved the Enterprise, uh, which we'll get into later on. But um, I was I was hooked. That was what that was what hooked me into um, really really getting into to uh, Star Trek. And then of course when Star Trek Two came out, it was just like forget about it. So yeah, absolutely, I loved it. I thought it was great. I love hearing your story about what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> I um I I fell asleep. <laughs> Okay, I was drinking when you said that. I wasn't expecting yeah. it so fast. <laughs> I um, and my brother fell asleep because he took me to the. We went to a matinee at the Bedford Mall when there used to be a theater there because that's the same place I saw Star Wars. And um, I I felt bad because I I fell asleep during the movie. And you know, my brother had taken me to this. We watched Star Trek for years, and we're in the car. And I I, I confessed that I fell asleep. He's like, "Yeah, don't worry about it. I fell asleep too. It's okay." And it was for for most of my adult life that I understood why this was called Star Trek: The Motion Less Picture because <laughs> it's not exactly like there's a lot to engage kids, you uh, know. Absolutely, it yeah, I, you know that's a great point, Bill. It's even though I was a kid and you were a kid at the time, it's not it's not going to hold a youngster's attention very long. I don't think, especially if you're watching the full extended version on DVD or something like that, it's, it's got a lot of slowness in it and it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of things that kids might not find exciting at all, but um, it, it piqued my interest. I got to say, well, (laughs) I think it piques our interest now as adults, but certainly back then, I mean, not so much, you know, kids, you know, well, let's look at the at the rating for this movie. It was rated G. It was the only one of the the films to ever be rated G. And that's going to immediately draw parents who say, oh, I can take my kids to this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that is certainly, I'm sure, part of what went on. And so you get there and you're hoping, I'm sure a lot of kids are hoping for Star Wars and they get Star Trek. And I don't, uh, there was probably a good number of them who didn't quite understand exactly what that meant. Right. And the thing that always gets me is that, you know, when this movie finally came out on VHS, you know, it, uh, it had its own special cover. There was a big yellow blob at the top. It's a special longer version, 12 minutes of new footage. And little do you know, that footage is all the Enterprise flying through V'ger with reactions. <laughs> And reactions of just people staring straight ahead, <laughs> not yeah. saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? Oh, this is what movies are meant to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand why people, I, I, I guess I, I can relate to some, on some level why people don't like Star Trek the motion picture. Perhaps they want more action, perhaps they want more engagement. But when you think about it, this is Star Trek 
you know, for television on the big screen. I mean, this is a gene script. You know, we can debate whether or not it's a rehash of some other elements of Star Trek some other time, or maybe we can even do that later. But this is probably the most Star Trek of all the Star Trek films. And it was the perfect exposure to people who've never seen Star Trek. I think at the time, absolutely. Um, We've talked about how every movie has been or you know one of the one of the things that that people talk about our, our dear friend heather talks about is every series or every movie is someone's first star trek and you're right we had been we had had the three seasons of the original series and we had a, the animated series and then a break of really nothing and then we're thrust into this giant cinematic adventure which you're right is the purest form of quote unquote what star trek is and I think that this was one of the big examples of, or big, um, this is what drew people into Star Trek moments was this movie, regardless of whether the movie's good, bad, slow, fast, adventure, drama, it just pulled people in at the time. And it might've been the biggest example out of all the films that did that. Yes. Yeah. I think that's very true. You know, it's not to say there aren't problems with Star Trek, the motion picture. There are problems with every Star Trek movie, even Star Trek to the wrath of Khan, which people still hold up as, you know, the, the pinnacle of Star Trek movies and, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, Gene had some, some obvious challenges in writing this script. Um, I, I don't know if he was the best writer for this script, honestly, because it, it suffers from some things, but it told a story that was very much about the positive future of humanity and about how we aspire to something greater. And I think that's really what TMP drives home for me now. Whereas before I was hoping for, you know, something a little more adventure driven, kind of like Star Trek on television. Cause let's face it, there's a lot of adventure there, even though there are some amazing stories about humanity being greater than it is. But that doesn't occur in Star Trek, the motion picture. It, it, I don't know if this film works with any other director than Robert Wise, because I think he had the, gave it the care and feeding it needed to give it this amazing grand look in this, in this universe and also allow the story to, to be told the way it should be told. It's, it's interesting you say that because I was re- recently reading an article about the motion picture on Entertainment Weekly's website. Um, and I agree with you. Robert Wise was really the only person who could have directed this film. But at the same time, there's discussion about how Robert Wise almost destroyed Star Trek forever, but at the same time also saved it forever with this movie. And that's kind of interesting that it could be that drastic on both sides, but it really happened. And they go on in that article to talk about, he may have been one of the biggest problems or biggest saviors of Star Trek. And the other person, the only other person who's higher on that list of either saving or destroying Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. It's amazing. I agree with that. It's an amazing read. Check it out. I, uh, I have to agree with that a hundred percent. I, um, well, th- th- there's, there's a lot to this movie because you know, they start essentially rebuilding the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it creates a, a continuity which we didn't necessarily intend for that we still live with today, except we call it canon, right. which is really a, a term for writers than it than it is a, for anything else because it denotes you know, its various religious connotations. But there's a there's a fully formed story here that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it serves to to bring all these characters we haven't seen in new stories for 10 years together. And I think that's the best part. 
Um, so, you know, you're a, you're a, a young kid, you're nine years old, you're sitting in this theater in Nashua and, you know, we've said many times that there's no Star Trek without Spock. Right. What was your reaction the first time Spock came on the screen? I was like, why does he look so weird? <laughs> I, I really did. I mean, he had the long hair. I mean, it's on Vulcan, of course, is the first time we see him. I'm like, what's going on? He he never had long hair like that. And he had this funny looking uh, outfit on. And and we see the, the matte paintings of Vulcan. And I'm like, what's going on? And I also remember later on in the movie, as it was taking place, it's like, what's up with his voice? His voice is like – it's like it's dropped four octaves from what we remember in the original series. I was a little like, what? what's the deal here? And I didn't understand the whole idea of Colinar at the time or or what he was doing and what is this purging of emotions that doesn't make any sense. Um, it was – I will say it was confusing for me back then. Uh, like we talked about it, you know, kids watching this for the first time might not understand what's going on. That was a perfect example where I didn't understand. I have to say that it's the movie finally felt like Star Trek to me at that point once Spock was on the screen, even as a kid, mm-hmm. because uh, that element is missing up until then. You know, of course, they, there's the there's the bit with the um, the Vulcan science officer who you know winds up dying in the transporter accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the last one available. You know, Kirk's like, ah, I'd really like a Vulcan there. Yeah. It's like, whoa, really? Come on, buddy. Seriously. Lots of people know sciencey type stuff. And then Spock comes on. It's like, oh, it's Spock. I even as a kid, I really felt this sort of nostalgia for the character because I, I felt that tied to Spock, even as a nine-year-old, you know? And so I thought that scene with Chekhov was a little clunky of sorts. Grand Ted. Yeah. Um <laughs> well, let me let me jump in on that because that's what I was going to point out. The beginning part when you see him on Vulcan was very confusing to me. I was so excited when he arrived on the Enterprise. But then at the same time, that very scene where Chekhov is just elated to see him. And I'm like, wow, Spock's really being a jerk. As he just kind (laughs) of like walks off. It's like, okay, what's going on? I really didn't feel like, oh, now this is Star Trek with Spock until we saw him in a uniform, I think. Now that I think back on it. Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, one of the other things I really like about this movie is the the iteration of the Enterprise that we get. Okay, we're going to throw the fact that it's got all kinds of differences and there's no way it could be the same ship from the TV series out the window. And we're just going to pretend that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, for me, still, when I think of the Enterprise, it's that version of the Enterprise I think of. You know, on my desk here at home, I have that Enterprise. On my desk at work, I have that Enterprise. You know, it's it's just, it's the version that spoke to me. I love its lines. I love the uh, the different warp nacelles. I love the angles we get of the Enterprise in this movie. And I really think that's how I fell in love with this particular design, especially when it's in space dock and you get that view from the top of the uh, of the port nacelle from the aft view, looking at the rest of the ship during you know the uh, the starship porn scene. And um, you know, when Kirk and Spotty or Scotty are flying around the Enterprise to that music, and it's just it's gorgeous. You know, it's it's such a beautiful score behind it, and the visuals are amazing. That's that's why I call it Starship Porn. And um, 
but it, it really is when I think of the Enterprise, that's the version I think of now because it just I fell in love with it all over again. Let me tell you a little story about my thoughts on the Enterprise refit. Yeah. It was Star Trek the Motion Picture that first started me getting interested when I was a kid and and through my early teenage years maybe of building models. And the very first model I built was because of this movie. I got the uh, my my folks got me the um, Enterprise and the, not a Snap-on model which I had done when I was littler or more little, whatever the word is, but a real model where I had to like do the, you know, the gluing and the painting and everything like that. And I did the enterprise and I, I I can see it so vividly in my mind, the angles of the warp nacelles and the way the warp nacelles worked. And this was the first model that I ever did where they had um, uh, like decals and you had to cut them out and then wet them and then put them on the model. And that was like the worst thing in the world for me. I couldn't figure out how it was ever going to stay there, but doing the painting and stuff like that. It was the first time I really did a model it, it, because I loved the ship so much. It is so gorgeous in this movie. And it might not be the one that I think of first with when I think of the Starship Enterprise, but it is, it is, it's the most beautiful one, I think. Definitely. I absolutely agree with that. I have to tell you, slight tangent. So Star Trek three comes out and of course, Oh, the Enterprise meets her fate in that movie. I was, I literally, I cried. Devastated. I, I was at, you know, I was, at, uh, I was in middle school at that point and I, I cried because I was more affected by that than I was by the death of Spock in Star Trek 2. But that's a topic for another time. Mm-hmm. And I had that model and I think I traded it, uh, or traded for it to, to get it from a, a kid I knew at the time. And I was so bummed out and I got angry at some point that they destroyed the Enterprise that I took that model and there was a hole in the bottom of it. That's how it was when I got it. And I filled it full of firecrackers. (laughs) God's honest truth. And I lit those firecrackers ablaze. And I got to tell you, that model did not hold up so well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. It's like, well, if they're going to destroy the Enterprise, I'm going to destroy the Enterprise. In hindsight, man, I wish I kept that model. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember what happened to mine. I do remember that my mom was like very worried because that was the first time that I like was using an exacto knife because you had to cut yeah. the like skeleton off the parts. Um, yeah, memories of. I, mean, I want to go get a model and build one now. <laughs> see, I, I think about that. Well, and then I see. All kinds of people who do these amazing things with their models. And oh. I'm like, I, I could never do that. Let's add lights. <laughs> let's add lights. Let's let's add things that aren't part of the model. Let's kit bash. I'm like, God, these, these people must have the patience of saints because I'm lucky if I can get paint on there, for God's sake. And these people who have all like the different colored tiles on the Enterprise, oh, yes. you know, like various gradations. I'm like... Oh my God. Oh, I, I'm lucky I, if I can just snap it together. I could tell you a tangent on that one real quick. Speaking of yeah. models, because Star Trek, the next generation comes out. And of course the enterprise D is new. I got a model of that. And you know how the enterprise D the saucer section, especially has like little squares. The whole thing is made of these different tile squares. I painted every one of those squares with toothpicks. Oh my word. And there were a lot of them. <laughs> I didn't want the paint to be like in between the bricks, so to speak, I'll call them. So I paint them with flat tip toothpicks, every single one. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. I, that would drive me crazy. Now I just rather build Legos, quite frankly. Yeah. You think I don't have patience. <laughs> <laughs> no, you only don't have patience with me. 
So, you know, as we've kind of skipped around the notes we have, you have a note here called Dan's poster story. Yes. Um, and I want to be sure we get to that because I don't know if I know the story you're talking about and I want to hear it. I've never told you the story. Oh, I yeah. can't wait then. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story. You want to hear it now? Uh, I think that's part of the reason why I brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So as I've talked about before, my brother was more of a fan than I was to start uh, the whole Star Trek journey. And it's it's because of him that I, I got into Star Trek. So the movie's coming out or the movie's come out at this time. Like I said, he has Starlog and we've seen the movie. And he had things in his room that were Star Trek related, including some posters. And one of these posters was specifically of the Star Trek motion picture Enterprise but it was a poster that was like metallic, if that makes any sense. It oh, had wow. this special sheen over it to make it look metal and and it would shine differently in the light. It was it was gorgeous. It was really, really nice. It had blues and 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 all kinds of brilliant um silvers and stuff like that. And I loved it. It was my favorite thing. I would actually go into his room and just stare at it from time to time. Now oh, wow. Another thing that we used to do uh, when we were younger is we would listen to the music, which we'll get into uh, shortly. And what we would do is we would listen to the music and we would just, I would just sit there and, and, and think of the movie and look at this poster. And I had – the only thing I can call it is – you know those pointers, those silver pointers that are like car antennas? They look like car antennas and you open them up to yeah. stretch them out. We had one yeah. of those and I would use that as kind of like the maestro's – whatever the heck you call it when they're doing the music and we would swing our arms back and forth to the music. And one time, so you, you would conduct the orchestra with a baton. Yes. Baton. Thank you. Yeah. I couldn't think of the word. I, I was thinking of the Bugs Bunny version of, of when he's the maestro, but yeah, I would do that. And I remember one time in his room, the music playing and I was in there and I was like, I was, you know, very grandiosely, you know, swaying my arms with this antenna, as I called it and swinging it around the room and dun, and swung my arm and the end of the baton hit that poster and scratched it right down through the center of it. Oh my God. And this is where I think I realized how big a fan I was. I wasn't so scared about my brother being mad. I was more upset that I damaged this beautiful picture of the enterprise. And it was something that I always felt awful about. Um, And that's my poster story. I don't know where that poster is right now, if he still has it, but it was earth shattering to me at the time that I had, I had hit this and scratched it. It was, and I saw the scratch, like when you see a scratch on your, tr- on your car or, or a ding in the windshield, you focus in on that. It's like a thousand times bigger than it really is. And all I saw in that poster from that point on was that scratch and it killed me. Oh my God. You are such a jerk. <laughs> Wow. You it was, it you was, have busted my stones for accident. 20 years over dropping your enterprise, which was an act, a complete accident. And you, out of sheer carelessness, damaged a priceless collectible of your brother's. And I'm just hearing about this now. You are never going to hear the end of this, maestro. <laughs> maestro. Yeah, I think that might be why I like have given you such a hard time. It kind of like, you know, makes me feel better about what I did to my brother's poster. Because it was your own self-loathing, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I hate you so much. <laughs> You're I, um, welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't wait to ask him about this. Great. Thank you. I'm going to ask him to leave us a speak pipe voicemail about this story <laughs> when he discovered the tear in the poster. You know what he's going to say? He, oh, I, don't, I don't remember that. 
<laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so um, let's talk about some favorite scenes or moments or characters in this movie. Um, because there's a lot here, right? I mean, this is the first time we get to come back to these characters after a decade. You know, granted, not that much time passes in universe, but in real time from the end of Turnabout Intruder to Star Trek, the motion picture, there's about 10 years. Yeah. So um, you, uh, what are some of your favorite moments in this movie? Well, I'll talk about my favorite, favorite moment first. And it might be, you know, the, the easy way out of the easy choice. But we talked about it a minute ago. The Enterprise porn scene is my favorite part of this movie for a couple of reasons. A, we get to see this ship for a long time. <laughs> where we're focused on it's like eight minutes or something like that, all kinds of different angles. But what really makes this scene work for me, and we've said this on the show many times, the music. The music is its own character in this movie, and it's one of the reasons why I love the movie as much as I do is because this soundtrack is just unbelievable. And this particular scene with the uh, music that's called The Enterprise playing just makes this scene. Uh, even though you get Kirk and Shatner overacting, just looking around when he's looking and he looks down, he's got this like dramatic look down. The it, it, the scene is powerful. He's seeing the ship for the first time in a while. Um, that is my favorite scene of the movie. Um, I also have to say that the the beginning scene of the movie when we see the Klingon ship uh, and V'ger, uh, with that, again, the dramatic Klingon score, which people compare the Klingon score in Star Trek, the motion picture to Darth Vader's Imperial March in Star Wars. I mean, they're just, they're so powerful. They're not the actual themes for the movie, but those particular scores are remembered. And that's one of them. We get to see Klingons for the first time in a different way. And I will say, for the longest time, I didn't believe anybody who said that that was Mark Leonard or Leonard in the uh, in the captain's chair of the Klingon ship. I didn't. I'm like Spock's father's not going to be a Klingon, um, but that was that was one of my favorite scenes as well. I love that scene. <laughs> Spock, Spock's father's not going to be a Klingon. That's crazy talk. That's awesome. Yep, that's that's awesome. I um I love I love the starship flyby. Um, I I have to say, I love the first time Spock comes on the bridge, Mm. you know, and there's that very stilted dialogue and when everybody seems to get a word in before Kirk goes, Spock. Um, I do do love that scene. And Spock is just so cold and aloof and like, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw you guys. Yeah, what's up? Hey, um, I'm here. Little did we know at the time that he was still dealing with Dr. McKenna's death. Right? Oh, spoiler alert, Dan. Yeah. Way to go. Sorry. Oh. It's been two months. I, um, Come on. <laughs> I also have to say, I love Persis Kambata's portrayal of Ilea and the Ilea probe. You know, there's a there's an interesting awkwardness to Ilea before she becomes the probe. And there's there's a lot of depth and warmth to her character. And then you get the complete opposite of that as soon as Viger, you know, snatches her up and turns her into this this avatar, if you will. Um I, I the Kirk unit, um, the whole whiny bit. I, uh, that was Kirk unit. Um, <laughs> one of the, one of the misfires for me in this movie is the casting of Stephen Collins as Decker. Mm. I, I don't, I don't really enjoy him in this role. It's got nothing to do with his current 
you know, um, revelations and situations. But even back then, I just didn't think it was a good fit with the rest of the cast. That's not to say he's not a bad actor, because certainly he he does well with what they give him. But it just it didn't really work for me too much. Sure. Um, I, I do have to say though, I liked the how they took the breadcrumbs there of the Decker Ilya relationship and turned it into Riker and Troy in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can, that inspiration there is, is hundred percent obvious. And then I have to say, I love the end scene when, um, they realize that it's, it's a Voyager satellite and they have to key the final sequence in the code. That is just classic televised Star Trek to the nth degree, man. And it's, it's executed very well. Do you, do you mean the, that entire scene or the specific part where Voyager just like breaks itself so that it doesn't have to receive that code? Uh, the whole scene, but that in particular. Yeah, that's that's really that's like, oh man. <laughs> like, yeah, we're almost out of this. Oh wait, right. I got. I want to. I want to feed off of what you just said in regards to Ilea and Decker. First of all, I agree with you on on both counts. Um, I was I was a youngster at the time, so I think later on when I was watching it on VHS, I was like, I was like, you know, a young teenage teenage boy. I'm like, wow, Ilea's outfit is really short. I was like, that is cool. But that being said, I agree with you 100% in regards to Decker. And one of the things that I think of now when I watch the show or the the movie is, okay, Ilya is dead for all intents and purposes. She's dead. And she's brought back as this avatar and not the blue one, which I was going to say earlier, but I figured I'd keep that one to myself. But I decided to say it now. Um, It's like, Decker, dude. Or you could say, Jordy, it's not your mother. Picard, he's not your son. Decker, wipe that goofy-looking smile off your face every time you're talking to Ilea the pro because it's not Ilea. It's not Ilea. (laughs) It's just a little – and then, you know, the whole way that they're looking at each other when they're merging to to save Earth and everything like that, a little little too much for me on that. As I think about it now as a a, uh, middle-aged gentleman. Um, you know, I, I can understand where you're coming from with that. I, I appreciate that reaction. I just, as I will say though, that scene between Decker and Kirk, when Kirk comes to relieve him of command of the enterprise and engineering, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, 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 there's a good 20 minutes to a half an hour after that, uh, especially the whole Decker, you're com- with me see yes. um that really that kind of drives me a little crazy so uh, so does this is how i define unwarranted right. um just because it's just it's very spiteful mm-hmm. uh, but I, I will say one of the things that i did like and i didn't know this at the time is how decker was the son of commodore decker i thought that was a great tie into what is now canon um i always liked that aspect uh, of his character but not much else yeah no i agree with that um, the whole Spock outside the ship and the thruster suit scene, I thought that was fascinating. I actually enjoy that sequence even more now. Um, I'm glad that they fixed it for subsequent releases of, of home video because you would see Kirk get into his thruster suit and you could see a plywood wall behind him that was not all the way built out because they were rushing this thing to, to theaters. So they fixed that, which is nice. But um, I, I do like that, especially the scene in sickbay afterwards where Spock says, you know, Vidra doesn't understand this. You know the the, the touch of uh, of humans. Is this all that I am? Um, yeah. Is there nothing more? Right. 
And it's um it's such a great scene with Spock and that again more classic Star Trek, right? You know, here we have a a machine that is rescued by other machines, you know, a living planet of machines, if you will, and it fixes this this wayward satellite and it becomes this. Now, too too much similarity to Nomad, do you think, or is it different enough? where where that criticism is is kind of doesn't work for you. I think it's very similar but I think it works great. Here's the problem I have with Vija though and this is going to be hard to explain. Is in that scene you were just talking about about Spock going through the the starfish entry port or whatever that's what I like to call it cuz it's kind of weird. Um I've always had a really hard time accepting, I guess is the best word, the how gigantic V'ger actually is. And he's just traveling through this thing and seeing stars, whole galaxies stored there. Now, granted, could it be a holodeck type of thing where he's, it's not really as big as it, it makes, as, as V'ger's making it look. I mean, you can tell how big V'ger is when they show the Enterprise next to it and it's just this little tiny speck. But that whole thing of how how gigantic this thing is and they don't catch it until it's three days away from Earth is a little a little tough to swallow, but you know, like you said, there's always some things with each movie that it's hard to take. But to your point, I think it is very much like Nomad, but it's, this is funny. It's very much like Nomad, but in a very different way. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring out in regards to V'ger, which I've always liked and it's not canon, but we've talked about it before, is one of the Shatner novels. You find out that V'ger was actually – uh, the 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 planet that saved quote unquote V'ger and and turned it into what it became was the Borg homeworld. So the Borg was actually tied to um, V'ger, which I thought was kind of interesting. It may not be believable, and there may be mistakes with it. And uh, Spock was about to be assimilated in the book, but they stopped right at the last second because they already realized that he had been in contact because he mind melded with the Ilea probe when he was traveling in V'ger. Yeah, that was a story element I've never really bought and I think is just sloppy mm-hmm. um, because the, the Borg don't, uh, you know, catch and release necessarily. Right. True. That's a good point. They either, they either wouldn't have been interested in Voyager, um, in the Voyager satellite in the beginning, or they would have kept it and assimilated it into their own perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I, I get that it's a creative idea for a book. Um, I'm sure it tells a great story because, you know, uh, Judy and, and Garfield Reeve Stevens essentially wrote all those for Shatner. Sure. Um, they're listed as co-writers, but I'm pretty sure Shatner has never seen, um, <laughs> the, has never read the full books of any of those. Uh, but no, I, I, I get that it's entertaining. I get that it's, it makes people think and talk and that's fantastic. It's just a, a story that I, I could never buy into. And I just, I checked out of it immediately. Sure. So it's understandable. Um, where do you think Star Trek the Motion Picture falls in the the pantheon of Star Trek movies? If I were to rate them, you mean? Um, well, sure, sure. Let's go with that. For me personally, in turn, and and I look at how I rate things is is just how much I enjoy them, not particularly whether it's true Star Trek or or stuff like that. It's one of my favorites because of the different things we've talked about, the music, and and it, it makes me remember my childhood and stuff like that. I would say it's probably, for me, it might be in the top five of ones that I just enjoy, which is 
is amazing because I hear people talk about how much they hate it. I mean, one of the things that I always get aggravated when watching The Big Bang Theory is how Sheldon always insults the motion picture. And it's like, come on, man. I love this character, but yeah, you just drive me crazy when you say something like that because I love it so much. Wow. I, I never even thought about that. Um, I have to say that, you know, for a while I thought it was among the worst of Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's really in the last several years, probably since we've been doing Trek Geeks, that I've really thought about this one and, and where it falls. And I I actually think this is one of the best Star Trek movies of all time. People can dog on it for it being slow. People can dog on it for, you know, having some some awkward moments and dialogue. But I have to tell you, it's it tells the most Star Trek story probably of all the movies, maybe with the exception of Star Trek for the one with the whales. You know, it's, it's, it's more than just a bad guy. It's more than just, you know, we've got to neutralize, you know, this invasion of earth. Um, it's, it's, it's about an intelligence greater than our own that we don't understand that we try to make contact with, you know, granted there's a threat, but it's, it's not malicious necessarily. It's, it's V'ger trying to come home and touch the creator. And that's what compelling science fiction does, right? I mean, it, it tells a story that's plausible and there doesn't necessarily always have to be a bad guy like Star Trek movies have now. So for me, I, um, I, yeah, I'm, I gotta say it's top five, if not probably top three. Uh, I just, I adore this film now and I, I have such such a greater appreciation for it than I did as, as a, as a kid or even in my twenties and thirties, honestly. I'm really glad to hear that because it's been, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, how you fell asleep when you, when you saw for the first time and that you never really liked it growing up. And it's, it's just, it's, it's one that I hold so close to me. I just love it. I mean, Star Trek two, obviously everybody is probably going to rank that as, as number one motion picture. Like you said, top three, top five, maybe top three. And here's another one that's probably going to send some people off the deep end is is the reboot of 2009 is one of my favorites also because it's a reboot and it's good. Um, there's there's different things in each movie to hold on to and, and love and appreciate. And for me, TMP, it just it's just one of those – it's like when you look at a, at a – when you're looking at a photo album – and you find something that from your childhood that you haven't seen in 30 years and it just brings it all flooding back of how much you loved it. That happens with me with TMP whenever I watch it. And it's not like it's been 30 years since I've seen it. I've seen it, you know, hundreds of times. Um, it's just one that it's just, it's got a very special place for me. You know, in my world, there, there are 12 Star Trek movies, but there is one Star Trek film. And this one is it. You know, it's uh, all the other ones are, are have lots of action and, you know, lots of, of bad guys and all that stuff. But this is, for me, a, a true film in every sense of the word. And um, I, I love it. I love it so much now that uh, I'm glad that I've developed the appreciation for it at this phase of my life and, and not really before now, because I think I, it's caused me to love it even more. Good. I like to hear that. We should do a Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of watching the motion picture. <laughs> So you mean Trek Geeks Theater? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what like, I meant like to we say. Did for Mary. Yes. Yeah. But of course, a lot of it, some you know, with you, some of it would be just your silhouette kind of like sleeping. <laughs> if we want to proceed. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I sorry, I gotta wake up. Uh Dan, another thing we love beyond words, five year mission, buddy. They are every ounce of music you hear on Trek Geeks. We're so thrilled that they allow us to use their music for each and every episode of the podcast. 
seriously, the opening theme, the end theme, every segment bumper you hear, it's all from albums you can buy right now on fiveyearmission.net. Please head on over there, get all their stuff, get ready for year four because it's coming before you know it. And um, we swear you're going to be as big of fans as we are. That's at fiveyearmission.net. Get those tunes in your ear holes, yo. You know what's great? Uh, year four we're talking about is coming out soon. They they wrapped up their their Kickstarter program, and I got to say, Bill, I don't know if you were aware of this. They did reach the goal that they needed for a five year mission, possibly beefcake calendar. Oh, there's no possibly about it. It's going to be some beefcake. And I hope and, that uh, Mark is wearing his Trek Geek spaghetti strap tank top in one of those pictures. I can only hope so. Hope that, so. that would make my day. I would print that out poster size and hang it in my office. That's a little scary. But you know what isn't scary is great Star Trek episodes like the one I just watched recently. Uh, it's always fun, Bill, to see those Alpha Quadrant aliens show up in the Delta Quadrant, isn't it? It's a little strange, but at the same time, it's kind of cool to see. Um, well, this episode of Voyager was no different, my man. You know, the crew of the Voyager came across an old Klingon D7 battlecruiser, and their crew had been searching for something for literally generations. And when they came across Voyager, they believed that they had found it. And it was actually Balana's unborn child as the ultimate drummer in the Klingon Empire. Check out the episode. It's great. It's prophecy. You want to say that again? Profarxy. <laughs> um, I, yes, you know, I've, there are a lot of Voyager episodes I either don't remember or just I haven't seen. And um, that one sounds terrible, even if uh, without the, the Fark stuff. It's not, it it's, sounds, absolute, can it I sounds be, absolutely putrid. Can I be honest? It's not, yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not a great episode. It's also not a great title to, to add Fark to because it's really hard to say because you you have a passing familiarity with the English language. Just a little bit. It's like you guys it's like you guys speed dated and you decide that it wasn't gonna work out between the two of you. You in English, that is. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I no? can't even talk because I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it was it wasn't my best, but you know, I have next week to get better, right? Well, uh, I think we've been hoping for that for three years now, and it still doesn't happen. But yeah, fiveyearmission.net, despite Dan's horrible farkism this week, um, please buy all of their music and uh, make it so. Dan, next week, you and I are going to discuss a topic that we've discussed and even joked about many times, uh, both here on Trek Geeks and in the real world. <laughs> yeah, we've actually talked about it with a particular actor as well uh, at STLV. And this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, they're all fun, but this is going to be really fun. It's been a running gag for a long time. Uh, you know, poor Ensign Harry Kim. Not only was he never promoted during his entire time on Voyager, uh, but this dude was the target for many an episode. So next week, it's all about Harry in a special Harry Kim must suffer extraordinaire. Next week on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. This That poor guy. <laughs> Not Garrett, but Harry. Harry specifically. Yes. Uh, that that poor kid, I tell you what. Dan, we want to remind everyone they can subscribe to both Trek Geeks and to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, simply by just going to podfleet.com. 
There you can find out the variety and multitude of ways you can get both of our independent Star Trek podcasts directly to your mobile devices. And of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. And lastly, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our dear friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 126 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Is this coconut all that I am? Is there nothing more? I'd call that coconut unwarranted, Admiral. Nice. See, I like that. You know, you're working with me. You know, there's hope. Wow, you sound like the uh, the foghorn on third down at Gillette Stadium. <laughs> or more complex than brown. Oh, Much very nice. superior. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get that low, so I will not even say the old ones. <laughs> the old ones. Yes, oh. it had been so long I had forgotten. That's pretty good. That's what happens in the morning. <laughs> So is this is this how you went from Spock to Spook? You were you were thinking of Ruck? I might have been. Yes, absolutely. Help me, Spook! <laughs> Help me, Spook! Resistance cancels out programming. <laughs> I love him. He's so good. The thing is, too, is Ted Cassidy's voice turns up so many times in, in yeah, TOS. It does, and it's great every time. You remember watching the banana splits as a kid? One banana, two banana, three banana. No, 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 no don't do that because then, <clears throat> you know, we got to take it off Spotify. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, but his voice would turn up in the animated shorts for all those, you know, banana splits cartoons also, which I thought always thought was interesting. I, the only thing I remember about banana splits is the song and the trying to go up the slide and falling. In the beginning, opening credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you heard that you boing noise when they would fall. <laughs> Do you remember their names? Dougal, Moogle, Snork, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I think Snork is right. <laughs> I got to Google this now. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I loved all those old shows, Banana Splits and. Um, uh, Wonder Bug and Dr. Shrinker, all those shows that were on after school when I got home. Those were all classics. Let's see. Let's see. There was Flegel, who Flegel. was on guitar and vocals. Mm-hmm. There, there was Bingo, who was on drums. Drooper, <laughs> who, Drooper, who played bass. And Snorky, who played keys. Snorky. I don't even remember Snorky. that they played a band. Uh, I do vaguely. Huh. Could that be... The seed which grew into five-year mission. No. <laughs> I would not think so. No, not at all. No, <laughs> no. 
It was a Hanna-Barbera thing. It ran for two seasons and only a 31 episode plus plus some shorts, which is amazing because Channel 56 in Boston played that thing for seven freaking years. Oh, my God. I've <laughs> always had it on. But, I, you know, I could see five-year mission doing the opening credits where they're falling up the slide. That would be quite funny. Oh, see, that would be good if they covered uh, uh, the Banana Split song, which I think is called Tra-La-La. That's, that would be hysterical. Let's get uh, Let's get them on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're going to jump right away. Dan, that could just be one you. of their final perks for the Kickstarter. The guy they sued. They're just going to come straight to you. <laughs> uh, you know, it gets, it gets them out there. People see them. People love them more because we love them, right? Believe it or not, it ran for 31 episodes on NBC Saturday mornings from 1968 to 1970. Wow. Huh. I did yeah. not know that. That's amazing. And even though it was a Hanna-Barbera thing, the costumes were designed by Sid and Marty Croft. Uh, yes, they do look like that. They look like a lot of things like um, Sigmund the Sea Monster type of yes, costume yes. stuff. Yeah. And the series sponsor was Kellogg's. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Which I didn't know either. Breakfast cereal, you know. Yeah. Cool. Banana split. Wow. That's, that's really reaching into the old memory vault, isn't it? Well, here's another one. So you remember... Well, since you you and I both watched, obviously, Banana Splits, they used to have a series of uh, sometimes live action shorts that were attached to it. Yes. And there was one called Danger Island. Do you remember that? I do not remember that one. And Mike in the van who listens to Trek Geeks will uh, knows about this because he and I have talked about this. But it, it starred Jan Michael Vincent. Oh, my. Who at the time w- went by Michael Vincent. And there was a character named Chongo. And whenever Chongo made an appearance, it was kind of like Treasure Island, but for kids. It was usually, uh-oh, Chongo! That, I vaguely remember that. And Chongo ran around going, ay 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 It was... I'm looking, at a, I'm looking at a cast picture, and it's the older guy who looks like a scientist. Is that Worf's father from TNG? Uh, it looks I just him. like him. Huh. Uh, no, no, I don't think it is. Okay. Um, no, in fact, I remember that guy for some other stuff. All right, like um, like Mannix or whatever. Um, yeah, just like seventies procedural TV shows, that type of thing. He has all the uh, diagrams and specs at home. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely wasn't that guy. Okay. Um, wow. See, now I got to. Just so many memories now with uh, Chongo. Chongo, I'm gonna have to look that up now. Chongo. Oh, there's there's episodes on YouTube, my friend. Oh, I'm sure there is. I don't want to do them now, though, you know, because kind of we kind of got a show to do, but probably be more fun. Oh, oh, we do. Yeah. Oh well, we we probably should do that. I'm I'm ready. You are. I'm born ready. Tra la la. Sorry. No. <laughs> I did three notes. I don't think they're going to get us for that. No, I think you're all, I think you're safe. Although I don't think they're going to bag us if you decide to sing five-year mission again. I mean, the band will sue us, but you know, that's, no that's need, different. There's no need for me to sing five-year mission. Why spoil greatness is how I look at it now, right? Wow. You are, <laughs> that is such a turnabout now, for that you. That could be taken two ways. Why <laughs> sing a song that is already great and it's just going to hurt it or why should I bother bothering my greatness with singing a song from Five Year Mission I'm going to go with the former but I would not be surprised if some people thought it would be the latter but I'm not that way I'm positive I'm, I'm not, here to help I've, I've not had enough coffee yet so far to parse that um, so by the way what are you drinking 
Uh, I got some brown uh, brown sugar crumbled donut coffee going today. Nice. I have a cinnamon sugar cookie. I was going to do that, but we're getting low, and I don't want to uh, drink it because my wife loves it so much. So Getting low? You just bought 47 boxes. Yeah, but we split them. We split them between here and Nashua, so... You know, she has two or two or three a day or two a day at least. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not That's a, 23 and a half boxes a piece. 23. <laughs> I don't think it was that many. It could have been. It would have been great. But, but still, you know, she's still up here during the week by herself. I don't want her to run out of coffee. It might not be this week. It might be another week, but that wouldn't be nice. It wouldn't be fair. And I'm, so I'm she's of, drinking all that coffee in celebration is what you're saying. It, it could be, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm. Peace and tranquility. I want everybody to be happy. So, let her have her I don't want to sabotage oh. your tranquility. <laughs> we were talk. We were talking last night about something before the game, and she said the word sabotage, and I went ah, 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 sabotage. And she was looking at me like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> That's the look I give you just about every day at the yeah, office. It is. It is. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. <laughs> 